Next, the golden days of radio. Hi, this is Frank Brzee welcoming you to the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past with the world's most famous personalities. Those memorable moments when everyone listened to enjoy the make-believe world of radio. On this program, we are featuring Lemon Abner, Bob Hope, Jerry Colonna, Bing Crosby, Bob Burns, Joe Penner, Edwin, Frank Sinatra, the Hoosier Hotshots, and a complete episode of the Bickersons. You know, 1970 is the 50th anniversary of radio. Yes, it's been 50 years since listeners to that first crystal set receiver heard the results of the Harding-Cox election on station KDKA in Pittsburgh. Here's an actual recording of that very program on that November day in 1920. It is now apparent that the Republican ticket of Harding and Coolidge is running well ahead of Cox and Roosevelt. At the present time, Harding has collected more than 16 million votes against some 9 million for the Democrats. We'll give you the state vote in just a moment. But first, we'd like to ask you to let us know if this broadcast is reaching you. Please drop us a card, address station KDKA, Westinghouse, East Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Fifty years ago, that's a long time. And during those years, hundreds of thousands of hours of programs brought entertainment to listeners across the nation. There was Lemon Abner. Hello? Can you hear us? Hello? Of course they can hear us. That's what they got all these wires hooked up for. <laughs> Howdy, folks. This is Lemon Abner down here in Pine Ridge, and we want to wish you a happy... Hello? Anna- Hello? Abner, quit hollering. Well, our voices has to carry a long ways, Lom. That's what they told us. Hello! Goodness sakes, Abner. Hesh up and let me do the talking. As I was saying, me and Abner wants to wish you a happy anniversary and... Wait a minute, Lom. Who are we wishing this thing to? Why, the NBC. And here's Bob Hope trading quips with Jerry Colonna and orchestra leader Skinny Ennis. And now we find Bob and Skinny Ennis at Camp San Luis Obispo. Come on, Skinny. We got to go into the quartermaster's office and get some equipment. Oh, quartermaster, quartermaster. Just a minute, fellas. I'm busy back here with a government issue. Oh, Professor, kiss me again. Of course, the government doesn't issue this to everyone. Colonna. Colonna, so you're the quartermaster. Come here and give us our uniforms. All right, Hope, I've got your uniform already. Take off your clothes. Okay, there, I got my clothes off. Hmm, that reminds me, I must order another tub of butter for the canteen. <laughs> Remember Bing Crosby with the popular radio comedian of three decades ago, Bob Burns? Well, Sir Bing, this little fish was sticking his little head right up out of the water. Mm-hmm. Just kind of blowing bubbles and going boo-boo-boo-boo-boo at me. <laughs> he said boo-boo-boo until I just had to take it with me. Mm-hmm. And all the way back to camp, he just kept wagging his tail and saying boo-boo-boo-boo at me until there was only one thing left for me to do. You brought him here. No, no, I ate him for breakfast. <laughs> well, I certainly should have put a stop to his bubba-bubba-booing. No, sir, Bing, it didn't. He continued the bubba boo Yes, sir, once before I ate him and twice after. <laughs> Radio featured the pixie comedian that wore a beanie hat and always carried a live duck around with him, Joe Penner. <laughs> you want to buy a duck? No. Under no circumstances? Under no circumstances. You nasty man! What's the easiest way to raise corned beef and cabbage? 
with a knife and fork. <laughs> Don't ever do that. Ed Wynn was known as the Texaco Fire Chief, and he was the first comedian to ever broadcast with a live studio audience. Well, here's one from Chicago, Illinois. Oh, I've been around that. Uh, dear Chief, I'm in love with a girl. Yeah. And when I'm with her, I feel that I could kiss her till the cows come home. Oh, great. But I'm afraid because our two brothers are policemen, and I'm afraid they'll come home early and catch me. What shall I do? Signed, in love. You're <laughs> in love. I can understand you wanting to kiss her till the cows come home. But as you are afraid that two brothers will catch you, and as they are policemen... <laughs> You better kiss it till the bulls come home. <laughs> Major Bowes helped many youngsters on their way to stardom with his amateur hour program. Here's an excerpt from a 1938 broadcast when Frank Sinatra appeared on the program. Who'll, uh, who'll speak for the group? I will. I'm Frank Major. Uh, we're looking for jobs. How about it? <laughs> uh, everyone that's ever heard us liked us. We think we're pretty good. And we play real swing music, too. Real modern swing music, ultra-modern music. What's your tune? The Choice of an Aching Heart. <laughs> the Choice of an Aching Heart. You made me what I am today. I hope you're satisfied. You drag me down and down until the soul within me dies. You know, a popular musical show featured MC Joe Kelly and the Hoosier Hot Shots. This program from WLS Chicago. First on the docket, the good old Hoosier Hot Shot. Are you ready, Hesse? Meet me tonight in the cow shed, after the cows come home. The Denning Sisters. Just a little bit south of North Carolina, that's where my thoughts all stray. To the one I love best in South Carolina, I'm going back someday. I can hardly wait to see the face of the one I idolize. Just a little bit south of North Carolina, do 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 do. folks, that scintillating strummer of the silver strings, Eddie Peabody, the Banjo King. Now listen, here's a potpourri of some of the programs during the 30s that radio was pleased to present. 
Call, starring Al Jolson with Lou Bring and his orchestra and chorus, and our guests, Arnold Stang as Gerard, and the world-famous violinist, Yehudi Manuel. So keep on looking for a bluebird and listening for its song. Yes, I ought to have a real good time. Glorious time. I'm all dressed up, of course. Yes, indeed. A leather necktie. Mm-hmm. Regulation police, double strength suspenders. Huh? <laughs> Good solid snaps. Sleeve garters. Uh-huh. They snap nice also. Now even when things go wrong. Now you be better, you even look better. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. This is yours very truly, Little Jack Little. Mr. Fields, Charlie wants to say something to you. Yes. Hello, Mr. Fields. Hello, blood poison. (laughs) (laughs) That's me, Groucho Marx. March of Time. Oh, I know where my baton is. It's right here in the hall. Oh, no, McGee, please, not on Sunday. Don't do it. During the 40s, Don Amici and Francis Langford began a series that was to become a radio classic. Each week, they appeared together as the Bickersons. Hello? Yes, Mrs. Peavy. I've been away for three days. I just walked in. Oh, I know. I'm terribly sorry. I'll see if I can stop him. Good night. snoring. <laughs> She's getting up a petition to have us thrown out of our apartment. What for? Because you're disturbing everybody's sleep. She says you sound like a Hotchkiss reciprocating force pump draining a peat bog in Calicula. What are you talking about, Blanche? You heard me. The neighbors won't stand for it much longer. That Mrs. Peavy says she's had enough. She's revolting. I know. I've seen her. <laughs> Husband's no bargain either. <laughs> Put out the lights. Stop it if you want to. I know you can. No other man snores like you. How do you know? <laughs> I talk to my women friends. Their husbands sleep so quietly, they have to keep waking them to see if they're dead. No use. They get you coming or going. <laughs> That's the third call I've had this week. I wouldn't mind so much, except I can hardly walk to the phone on this horrible sprained ankle of mine. Who told you to sprain your ankle? Nobody told me. I was trying to hang my clothes in the closet and I slid my foot on one of your old bourbon bottles. Heavens, Blanche, did you break it? No, it's only a spray. I mean the bottle. The bottle was empty and I might have known you wouldn't be thinking of me. Always thinking of you. Put out the lights, I will not. 
My ankle's so swollen now, I think I better call the doctor. You don't need the doctor. If you keep exercising it, it'll be fine. Go take a walk around the block. I just know I can't walk at all anymore. How do you know until you test it? Go on, kick the cat a few times and see how it feels. <laughs> I gotta get some sleep, guys. How can you be like that, John? Why don't you do something for me? In the morning. I can't understand what's happened to you, John. You used to be so considerate. Since you married me, you've got no sympathy at all. I have, too. I got everybody's sympathy. <laughs> That's right. Add insult to injury. <laughs> the least you could do is get up and massage my ankle. Okay, I'll massage it. Where's the chicken fat? Chicken fat? You and your insane remedies. Go get one of those elastic bandages. Where will I get an elastic bandage at 2 o'clock in the morning? There's an all-night drugstore three blocks from here. Blanche, darling, just rest now, and I'll get you the bandage in the morning. What good is that? How do I know my ankle will still hurt in the morning? I'll twist it. Please, <laughs> Blanche, will you let me get a couple of hours sleep? You know I got an interview for a new job tomorrow. Well, you still haven't told me why you got fired, John. I'll tell you why. It's because you keep me awake all night, and when I get to the office, I'm dead on my feet. It's just like a man. Blame me. Losing your job has nothing to do with losing your sleep. Not much. You don't concentrate on your work because you've lost your ambition. You're not the same man I married, John. Brother, you can say that again. Whatever happened to your get up and go? It got up and went. I'll tell you what happened. You've lost interest in everything except that precious bourbon of yours. Now, just a minute, Blanche. I married a great big corkscrew. I resent that. I don't care. You can accuse me of not having any ambition or anything else, but drinking is not one of my failures. No, it's one of your few successes. <laughs> the only reason I use bourbon is because the doctor prescribed it. He said I'd stop snoring if I took a jigger of bourbon and two aspirins every night. Well, that's not what you do, though. Yes, it is. It is not. You're six months behind on the aspirin and two years ahead on the bourbon. Well, aspirin gives me a headache. Stop talking like that. I never touch the stuff when I'm working. Then why do you keep getting fired? Because no man can serve two masters. So it's my fault, is it? Since when do I boss you around? You know very well I let you have your own way in almost everything I want. You've been running me for years. I have not. It started right at the altar. When I said I do, you said, oh, no, you don't. Put out the lights. What? I said, put out the lights. You mean you're actually going to let me sleep? I let you sleep for a whole week, didn't I? Three days. And you wanted to stay with your sister. I didn't tell you to go. Well, I just hate to think of what you've done to this place since I've been gone. I suppose you left a stack of dirty dishes in the sink. No dishes. Were the animals fed regularly? Every day. Well, the water in the goldfish bowl should have been changed yesterday. I changed it. I cleaned up everything. How's the canary? I don't know. I haven't seen him since I vacuumed his cage. <laughs> oh, don't blow your top. The canary's fine. And don't frighten me like that. Where's nature boy? Who's nature boy? <laughs> the cat. Did you let him out tonight? No. Why not? He never came in. <laughs> Listen, Blanche, I knock myself out working all day and then come home and have to play nursemaid to a broken-down canary and an alley cat. He's a beautiful cat, and I love him. Well, I hate him. You wouldn't feel that way if you get a little friendly with him. It's easy to make up to a cat. Mm -hmm. Why don't you bring him something to play with? I'll bring him a dog in the morning. <laughs> Good night, Blanche. I suppose I'll have to get some groceries in the morning. Are there any eggs for breakfast? No. Then you'll have to eat out. Doesn't matter. I've been doing it for three days. Why didn't you eat home? There was plenty of food here in the house. I left you enough food for a whole week. Go to sleep. I 
had the, the whole bathtub full of rice. What happened to it? I took a bath in it. Why didn't you eat it? I told you a million times I can't stand the sight of rice. Why not? Because it's connected with one of the saddest mistakes in my life. Vance, <laughs> why don't you let me sleep? Don't you care how I feel? But you'll be sorry after I'm gone. Where are you going? <laughs> Leave me alone. What's the matter, Blanche? Is it your ankle again? What is it? No, I've got that other dreadful pain again. What pain? It's my head. I've had it off and on for three weeks. Well, take it off now and go to sleep. <laughs> but of all the other Now, feeling... look, Blanche, I know about that pain in your head. You knocked it against the cupboard, and I happen to know you did it on purpose. Well, what if I did? I only did it to get a little sympathy from you. Blanche, you're the most selfish woman in the world. You're always killing yourself to get my sympathy. Last year, you had your appendix removed. Six months ago, you had your tonsils taken out. Two weeks ago, you had five teeth pulled. You'll run out of parts before I run out of sympathy. You keep your voice down. You want to wake little George? Who's little George? Clara's baby. Who's Clara? My sister, the one I stayed with in Peapack. Peapack. Have you forgotten that Clara and Barney had a baby? Are you talking about that hulking dollop that weighed 17 pounds when he was born? 16, and he isn't hulking. He's three months old, and he barely weighs 90 pounds. <laughs> 90 pounds. And that's with his clothes on. He only wears a diaper. I told you to lower your voice, John. You'll wake him up. Oh, how can he hear me in pee-pack? He isn't in pee-pack. He's in the bathroom. Bathroom? What's that elephant doing in my bathroom? I brought him back with me. Clara and Barney are going to a formal at the United Nations pool hall. Couldn't they get a sitter for one night? Well, I wanted the baby here to keep me company while you're in the hospital. I must be going out of my mind. What's this hospital bit? Well, Dr. Hersey's ranged everything. You're not working now, and you've got the time. At 8 o'clock in the morning, he's going to operate on you and snip your pedicle. What for? To cure your snoring. I've packed your bag and everything. What does that man want from me? Last week, he wanted to shorten my uvula. Now he wants to snip my pedicle. Now, don't go getting excited. Dr. Hersey says you're to get a good night's rest and be in a basal state for the operation. As soon as you give George his three o'clock feeding. What? His formula's in the kitchen. Warm it up and take it into him. Go on, John. Get up and feed the baby. Nobody would believe this. Where's my slipper? I didn't pack it in the bag. It's still under your pillow. You packed everything else in there. Why didn't you pack the slipper? Well, I didn't know how soon you'd be walking. Walking? I thought he was going to operate on my nose. He is, but you never can tell about complications. What a life I lead. A short uvula, no pedicle, and one slipper. Oh, hurry up and get George's formula before he starts to cry. And the cat's home again. Careful you don't step on him. Where's his formula? I can't find any formula. It's in the icebox, right next to the flounder I bought for dinner. There's no flounder and no formula. Put out the light. Did you look in the yellow bowl? I looked in the yellow bowl. Well, what's in it? Just the cat. John Biggerson, did that cat eat the flounder in George's food? I don't know, but he's sitting in the icebox, picking his teeth with the bones and wiping his face with a diaper. <laughs> That's terrible. What do we feed little George? Feed him the cat. How can you be so heartless, John? The child has to be fed every half hour. He's wasting away. Wasting away? He weighs more than I do. I think I hear him yelping already. Go in there and rock him to sleep. I'll be glad to. Where's a rock? 
Now, you stop talking like that. I'm responsible for that child, and you'd better see that he's fed. Yeah, what do you want me to give him, Blanche? Clara gave me a half a dozen cans of baby food. Go on, get up and boil him some. I'll boil him. <laughs> this is the night's rest I get before I go to the hospital to get my nose whacked off. Where's the stuff? On the kitchen table, and you needn't warm it or put it into a dish. He's hungry enough to eat it as it is. Just take it to him in the can. All right, all right. <laughs> Out the lights. Have you gone crazy, John? What do you mean throwing the can in there like that? How do you expect him to get at the food? There's a can opener on the wall. John Pickerson. Oh, please, Blanche. He isn't hungry and he isn't crying. He's in there sleeping like a horse. I didn't even look at him. I didn't have to look at him. I heard him snoring. <laughs> please let me get a little rest. I'll never be strong enough for the operation tomorrow. Oh, don't be so dramatic about the operation. Thousands of people have operations every day. You wouldn't hear me carry on like that if I was going to have an operation. Not much. You had to take ether to have glasses fitted. <laughs> well, I'm very sensitive around the eyes. Anyway, the surgery you're going to have is not a bit serious. It isn't going to be serious because I'm not gone. I'm not gone, you hear me? You have to. I've already paid Dr. Hersey. He wanted $40 for the operation and $10 for the anesthetic. I'll take the anesthetic without the operation. You're getting the operation without the anesthetic. What? That's the last straw, Blanche. Now you've done it. George is awake. Who's George? The baby. You woke him up. I don't care. I didn't send for him. Well, you go get him. Bring him out here and I'll take care of him. Go on, John. Get George. Oh, what's the use? Where's my slipper? You packed it back in your bag. What did you pack these lace curtains in here for? They're not lace curtains. Those are your shorts. I made a mistake. Instead of draining them in Rinso, I rinsed them in Drano. <laughs> Where's my other pair? Why didn't you pack those? Well, I couldn't. The baby's wearing them. Clara forgot to leave a change. You should have bought him something. Well, I tried. He wears an outsized diaper, and they have to be made to order. Hurry up and wheel him out. Three months old. Look at the size of him. He's built like a brick schoolhouse. He's a perfectly normal, healthy baby. He can't help it if he's big. His mother and father are big. Big what? I think he's adorable. He looks just like Clara. Turn him over. Let me see his face. That is his face. Oh. Was this crib made to order for him? Of course not. You can buy them anywhere for $3.98. So that's little George. Yes, and I'm going to have the pleasure of him all the time you're in the hospital. Mm. Look at him lying there like a little cherub, so innocent and sleep. Soon he'll be walking, and in a little while, he'll begin to talk. He'll say such cute things. And his first day at school, he'll be so scared. Maybe he'll be a wonderful scholar or a great athlete. He'll grow into a man who is handsome and strong. He might be a doctor or a lawyer. He might even grow up to be the president of the United States. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. What are you thinking of, darling? How can they make a crib like that for $3.98? <laughs> Good night, Blanche. Good night, George. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio and a salute to Radio's 50th anniversary. Now here's a thought to remember. School bells ring for more than 50 million students in the United States elementary, high school, and college-level classes yearly. And another 50 million or so take part in adult education courses. 
It's just a reminder that Americans know that a truly free society rests on the wisdom and intelligence of all its people. This is Frank Brzee inviting you to join me next week on this, the American Forces Radio and Television Service.